Father, we thank you for a morning to be together, and we ask not just for a good moment and a good sermon, but that you, Jesus, would come clothed to us in scriptures, and that we as your people could sense your presence, that when your word speaks, we could hear you speak directly to us, so we could be your people, we could be better shaped in light of your kingdom, and that love would be in the center of our community. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, y'all. My name is Jake, and I am one of your pastors here, and we're going to continue our sermon series, Rich Towards God, this morning, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 32 is where we're going to be picking up. So go ahead and open up your Bibles. Love for you to be able to be there and following along. And as you guys are flipping in your Bibles there, I'm going to tell you a story about my son, Uh, We got a chance to dedicate this morning, which was really cool. Uh, My son, Asher, is learning how to eat on his own in his high chair, uh, which is a process. And uh, got the chuckles from the parents who understand. So from his perspective, as he is going through this journey, he has made a new discovery. And the discovery is an Australian shepherd who lives in our house named Raleigh. And so what happens is he's learned that if he gets food, dad puts food on his plate and he takes the food and he then extends his arm over his chair, our dog will come running along and eat out of his hand and he'll giggle and laugh as big as he possibly can. And, uh, and then he'll turn back to his plate and of course, I refill it with food. And then he takes that food and he continues to give it to the dog. So much so that I've had to start putting the dog outside. But he will take the food and he'll just drop it on the floor and then he'll look out back <laughs> and wait for our dog, Raleigh, to pick up the food. And again, I'll refill his plate with food. And it's gotten to the point now where he's learned he can do the same thing with guests. And so we'll have people over and he will take his food and eat half of his tofu and he'll extend his arms and expect you to do the same thing if you are in the house. And he knows when you're faking it too. He's like, give me a break. You're a little like, you're not eating anything. And he'll uh, continue to offer food. And of course, as a dad, I'll refill his plate with food. Um, Even if it means I start scooping some of my food onto his plate, even if it's just going right onto the floor. By the end of our dinner time, 40% of all food given to Asher uh, this is a true statistic. So 40% of all food I've given to Asher has been poured out in food offerings towards the floor and our dog. For, uh, 10% is uh, given towards the people at the table. Another 40% has been rubbed all over his chest in an exfoliant, and about 10% of it has made it into his mouth. So what I've uh, learned about Asher from this is Asher is very generous with his food. Um, something I've never seen Asher do. I've never seen him take the Cheerios that I give him and start stuffing it into his diaper to save for later. I've never seen him take pasta and try to pocket it in his little hoodie and then discover him later in his bedroom as he's playing, pulling pasta back out. Because he knows I'm always going to refill his plate with food. So what Asher's perspective is, is that because he is a generous father, he likewise can be generous with his food. So why then, if we see a silly story like that, you can see it in children, they kind of naturally get this. 
why over time as human beings do we become more afraid of being generous? Especially as we continue in our sermon series with something that is difficult to talk about, our money. Asher has this freedom to just give whatever he's got in his, on his chair. Dad's going to refill the plate. No worries. I'll just toss them on the floor just in case the dog is going to come by. But then as we grow old, we have a limitation when it comes to generosity. We, like everyone here probably knows that generosity is something that is honorable and admirable, especially in the Christian community in the kingdom of heaven. And even outside of the church, it's still an admirable trait. People who give away lots of money in our society are still celebrated and honored. So why then, knowing that, is generosity sometimes really difficult? Or it doesn't come freely, like a child just throwing away food? Fear. The opposite of generosity, at least as I'm making the point today, is fear. Imagine what would happen to Asher if when he took a piece of sweet potato and tossed it on the floor towards the puppy, he turned around, and not only was there no sweet potato, but I wasn't even there anymore, and I left him for hours. Fear begins to hamstring our generosity. Fear that at some point you might run out when it comes to money. Fear that at some point you won't have enough. John pointed out last week that in the context of this whole passage that we're going through, the people that Jesus is talking to, for them, it was really about the clothes on their back, the literal food at the table, and just getting sick or having a a bad month of rain would have been the, the difference between poverty or not. Yet in 2023, you and I have more backups to these basic needs than anybody in human history has ever had. I don't think we're any less fearful, we made the point last week, about what happens with our money and if we'll have enough in the future. Deep down, the reason that generosity gets kind of hamstrung in our lives is because you are afraid that maybe you don't actually have a good and generous father who loves to fill your plate with good things. So as Jesus speaks to his disciples he begins at first to talk about a generous father. In verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock. After he's been teaching his disciples, he switches into this moment to talk about fear again, as he's been talking about fear and anxiety, and he first begins with recognizing and addressing that they are a little flock. And what I love about if you notice how Jesus speaks Jesus would not say fear not if he didn't know what? That we are prone to fear. So to move anywhere from this point, if it's not just going to be a a sermon that guilts you into generosity or something like that, uh, for us to move forward from, from fear to this gleeful, childlike generosity, what we need to begin with is the tender heart of Jesus. That he sees his people as a little flock. He knows that if we're going to be different from the rest of the world, when it comes to our money, our possessions, and what we do with what we have, he knows the first thing that needs to be addressed is fear. And so he says, fear not, little flock, 
for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If he's addressing his disciples and us as the flock, then it's interesting to note that at some point, sheep being afraid is very appropriate. There's two scenarios where being a flock of sheep and being afraid makes a lot of sense. The first is, is if you are a flock of sheep and you have no shepherd. Because then it doesn't matter how good the grass is in the moment or how comfortable the weather is. At some point, an enemy could come and steal from the flock. An animal could come and attack the flock. And there's no promises that the grass is going to be green tomorrow because it could dry up and die. And so ultimately, fear makes a lot of sense for a flock that has no shepherd. Likewise, if a flock of sheep has a shepherd, but it's not a good shepherd, he beats the sheep, or he's inconsistent, sometimes he just doesn't even show up, or the sheep know that he's actually withholding the best grass for someone else, fear is very appropriate because life is in their hands. Likewise, if you don't believe you have a good father in heaven at all, Fear is the only appropriate response for your life, especially for what you do with your money. And for many of us who could say, no, I know that we have a Father in heaven, more prevalent for us probably is the insecurity that, yeah, I have a Father in heaven, but I'm not sure he's good or he delights to give good things. If that is the case, then fear again is totally appropriate because the depth of life and joy, that's on you. And what else would you use to get those things other than your money? And so Jesus jumps headlong in saying, fear not, because that is what he needs to attack. And the way that Jesus upends fear in his disciples in this moment is he tells them, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. They're not to fear because unlike the flock, the vulnerable flock, they have a father in heaven who not only wants to give them everything, but wants to give them the very kingdom that he has and delights to do so, is filled with joy to give his people the very best things. If you don't have a father in heaven who delights in giving you everything, then fear makes a lot of sense because it's going to be on you to fulfill whatever desires your heart has. So Jesus tells his disciples, you're not going to be afraid and dominated by money and possessions the way the rest of the world will be. Why? Because you have a father. Your father is pleased, delights to give you the kingdom. You don't need to be afraid because he loves to give you the best things of all, if you are like my son, in God's eyes, he is so ready to fill your plate that no matter where the sweet potatoes of life go out, he's going to fill that thing right back up and he delights to see every moment that you give it away. He says, your father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. So what does that actually mean? That God would give you the kingdom. Because hearing that phrase isn't going to automatically lead us to generosity unless we understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. The kingdom of God means God's reign on earth, at least theologically. What that means maybe a little bit more in plain language is that the kingdom of God is a shorthand way of saying 
It's what the world is like when God is fully in charge in every space. And that was the main announcement of Jesus's preaching, that the kingdom of God has moved from heaven, God's space, here to earth, our space. And it had a lot to it. And so what you notice if you watch Jesus, he is very often saying, this is what the kingdom is kind of like, but more often what he would do is he would just demonstrate what the kingdom was like. Because it takes a little bit of seeing to understand as deep and as breadth of a complex term as the kingdom of God. And so what he would do is he would run into a man who was paralyzed, who got lowered from the roof, and he would call him a son. And then he would forgive him of all sins and then heal him. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, we had to be God's children. Sin never gets in the way of relationship. And the power of healing is on earth. And you see that everywhere that Jesus goes, you see that he, whenever he showed up on earth and he acted and he moved, it was not to prove himself. It was to show the world, this is what it looks like if God was in charge of the world. There's no more isolation and separation. There's a new human family. And Jesus lived it out. There's no religious hypocrisy in the kingdom anymore. Actually, now, even those who are the most holy, Jesus, are with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes because the kingdom of God is filled with grace. And so Jesus would demonstrate, and there's so much that we could not in one day unpack of what is included in the kingdom of heaven, but what it means that God is delighted to give his children the kingdom of heaven is this. God so loves you as his children that every single blessing, every beautiful thing, every dream, every hope that is tied to his kingdom, you get it. And you get it here and you get it now. It's not just a future someday when we die, we get some good things. And so give away some of your money today because you're going to get a better reward in heaven. It is God is so pleased to give you the most deep and rich and beautiful things that come with the kingdom, that you don't need to be afraid that you need to provide for yourself any of those things. Jesus tells us the Father is pleased to give us the kingdom. And so what might this mean for today? It means in a world where you honestly need to come up with your own reason for living on this earth through either how successful you are, what you can accomplish, or the identity you can craft for yourself, the kingdom of God given to you means that just by being a child, you have value and worth to the Heavenly Father. It means that in a world of isolation and loneliness and suspicion towards one another, God is delighted to give you a new family and his intimate presence that at any point you might have. So what does that have to do with our money? What Jesus is saying as he's teaching through money is that he, as he says, the Father's going to give you everything, he expects that to drive away fear of what we do with our money and possessions. How? Think about what you use your money for. Like if you were to go back over the last month and, and look through your bank statement and then list out all the categories of what you spent your money on, why are you buying those things? Really? 
If you were to look at last year, probably around like February to April, and you looked at my bank statements, you would notice Jake really likes video games. And I'd be like, yeah, I really like video games. So I use money on that. But at that time, if I were to do the same thing, I would have looked at that and I would have been like, how come every time I get a new video game, I'm like, within the next moment, I'm trying to like think to the next video game and shopping for the next one? And how come I just, without even thinking about it, when I got home from the hospital with my son and I'm a new dad and I'm exhausted, the first thing I do is buy a new gaming laptop. Why? Because at the end of the day, I was exhausted and fried and I was really deep down scared that my Father in Heaven would not give me the rest and reprieve in life that I really wanted. And so I went back to an old habit of checking out entirely as fast as I could through entertainment. So if I were to ask my bank a statement to start speaking as to what exactly I am afraid of, it would say, I'm afraid that I, my father is not delighted to give me rest in the most stressful and anxious time of my life. It would say that I am insecure, and so I need to provide for myself with my cash and my debit card the rest that I'm scared that God will not give me. And so the bank statements that I had told the story of a young dad who's deeply afraid that his father in heaven didn't really want to give him the best things of the kingdom. Look at the story of your finances. What do they tell about you? Why do you buy the things that you buy? If fear hamstrings our generosity, what are you actually afraid of? Are you afraid that it's up to you to find and use your money to find security, intimacy, any kind of reprieve from loneliness, just a sense of happiness and joy that it gets from like the Amazon guy dropping a box for something that you don't really need? Let's just pretend for a second, as a community, what if we really did believe this? What if we really believe that we had a father who, I mean, danced in heaven every time he gave us a good thing of the kingdom? What if we really believe that that was his temperament towards us? What would this look like as a community? If we believed we had a generous father, it would mean that we would become more and more a generous people. So Jesus tells the disciples in light of that, exactly what to do. He says in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. And then he goes on to say, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. After telling his disciples not to be afraid, he tells them exactly what they'll do if they weren't afraid. And, and for them, this was not incredibly complicated. You see in Acts chapter 2, what happens is it says that all who believed were together and had everything in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And for them, it just looked like this. God's incredibly generous to us in that he would give us the kingdom of heaven. I have two fields, and I noticed that some of these recent widowed women who can't provide for themselves are really hurting. You know what? I'm going to sell this field. And then they came to the disciples and like, here's the money from the field. Figure out where it goes. And you notice early on in the church, 
they have this rhythm of generosity with each other and counting each other as one family. It blew the minds of every people group from that point on in history. Nobody could figure out what the Christians were about because of where their money was constantly bouncing around. Like that makes no sense unless you have a father who really has given you everything. Jesus told his disciples, like we heard last week, we're not to worry about the basics of food and clothing. And then he turns around and says, guess how God's going to supernaturally provide those things for one another? You. Which is beautiful because now God is actually inviting his children to just jump into the same thing. That's why it's kind of fun to watch my son, other than the impatience I get from him, like wasting half of the food I give him. But it's fun when he gets half of it into somebody's mouth because I gave him food and he thinks the natural thing to do is then to give food to other people. That's so sweet to watch him. In the same way, God has invited his people to just do the exact same thing that he does, which is beautiful because then if the world is watching us, they begin to go, why do they keep giving each other stuff? The answer, God keeps giving us stuff. The moments when we hesitate, generosity, we know we should do it, and it's beautiful, and, and, but we still kind of get stuck. It might be because we aren't sure of why Jesus commands this. He says, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. When Jesus says money bags and treasure, don't think like gold coins. Think of savings accounts and stock investments and Roth IRA retirements. It is a place where you put your money so that tomorrow when you need money, you'll have it. So what Jesus is saying here is that you need to provide yourself with a wallet or savings account or retirement that won't grow old. And somebody can't break in and steal it, and it can't fall apart. And notice what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying get rid of your money bags, right? He doesn't say get rid of your treasure. Instead, he's saying put your money somewhere where it's going to last. How? By generosity. Jesus' heart is not that his people would not have wealth. But he's a little bit more of like somebody in stocks, which I know nothing about, but having insider knowledge about where to put your investment. Investing in real estate, right? It's a great idea unless it's right before the housing crash of 2008. <laughs> and, and, and stock might be really lucrative investing into growing fast companies unless you knew that the next day they were going to go under and go bankrupt, Storing away your money in a way that is rich towards this world and towards your future and yourself is a really good idea unless this world isn't going to last. Unless the only thing that's going to finally last in the end is the kingdom of God. So get me, Jesus wants us to have wealth and treasure. What he's talking about here is where it's going to be. So, like John taught last week, what does your kingdom investment portfolio look like? Where I have seen this in the most amazing ways 
over the years is the power that generosity has towards witnessing to the kingdom to the outside world. Um, that's, that's a little different story this morning, but one that just came to my mind today is when I first started doing campus ministry, uh, where I would go on campus at Arizona State and I would just talk to strangers about Jesus and then take him to lunch and spend gobs of time with them. Um, I met this kid named Ian, and all the time he was asking me, he was like, what do you do for work? And I was like, this is kind of it. And he's like, ah, it doesn't make any sense. And then weeks later, he would ask me the same question, and eventually I got a chance to share the gospel with him, baptize him. At the end of it, um, he asked some of that, along that question again, and I was like, hey, I like do what I do because there's a collection of people who support me with their finances, and they believe so much that you need a chance to hear about Jesus. They cut out part of their salary so that I could be here all day. And he just started to weep. Because here's what it communicated about the gospel. This young man, a person who that these people who gave towards would never meet, was so worthwhile having a chance to hear about Jesus they'd put money in the game. Our money has this really powerful way to illuminate to the world what we care about and who we really believe we are. When we really believe that we have a generous father, generosity then can come freely and it can be a light to the rest of the world. We are a generous people because we have a God who is a father in heaven who delights to give us everything in his kingdom. His heart is so willing to give us everything that he was willing to give us his son. Generosity is not just a good virtue, and it's not a, just a spiritual gift that some people in the church might have more than others. It is the language of the gospel. Generosity in our life will display do we really believe that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Romans 8. That's why Jesus said to his disciples and continues to say to us one of the greatest one-liners about money, I think that a lot of people even know without knowing the Bible, which is the next line. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We have a generous father, and so it only makes sense that we would be a generous people. So then money in the kingdom of God is reframed as no longer something that can enslave us or bind us or preoccupy us, but rather it can become a tool for discipleship. Here's how. Money will be able to illuminate whether or not we really are, at the end of the day, generous. No longer is it something that's just can be bound together and make us like get entangled, but actually can be like a GPS for your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money is going to show where your heart is. I talked about looking at your bank statement. That can actually be a discipleship tool. When you go home today, look at what you spent over the last month and then ask the Holy Spirit, why did I spend money on these things? The, the, the beautiful thing is, is that we do believe that every single part of this earth is going to be redeemed and 
in God's kingdom renewed, meaning we could use our money in a lot of creative ways for the kingdom, right? I can't just say, hey, I spent my money on video games and that was bad because that's not a kingdom thing. Like there are lots of creative ways that you can use any of those things for the sake of the kingdom, but you can very quickly look at your money and ask honestly at the end of the day, Holy Spirit, will you illuminate to me what I'm actually using my money for? Why am I buying these things? And it's going to be really honest. (laughs) That's the thing that's cool about money. It's incredibly honest. You'll look at what you spent your money over the last month and what you can immediately tell in that moment is what you thought was valuable. Instantly. And what, what is so cool about that is when we talk about the heart, right? The seed of our internal life, our emotions, what we care about, what we worry about, what really like drives us, where's your heart at? That's actually pretty elusive, right? It's hard to actually be fully aware at all times where my heart is at in life. What's harder still is I can be pretty self-deceptive about where my heart is. There are many things that I could say that I care about, I'm passionate about, or matter a lot to me, and then I look at where I use my money, and my money would be like, I don't know. And if you are like me, this last couple of weeks of the sermon series, for me, honestly, has just really brought a lot of conviction. And that could be something that could be godly conviction or worldly sorrow, and I need to be careful of that. But as I've been prepping for this sermon, this has like been one of my least favorite sermons to prepare. Uh, mostly because I'm not that great at this stuff. And so it had this sense of like, geez, man, I got to preach on this. <laughs> Until I realized something about this next statement here where Jesus says, where your treasure is, that is where your heart is also. And the beauty of that, I realized, is what if I just start putting my treasure where I want my heart to be? You see that? Like, it can be a GPS to tell you where your heart is. And when I realize there are some things I say my heart is about, but if I'm honest, maybe they're not, I could just move my money around and my heart is going to follow according to Jesus, which is pretty amazing. Because now I don't have to even begin with like, what does my heart feel like? And what, like, I could just know, hey, I really want to care about X, Y, Z in the kingdom. I'm just going to find a way to route money from this to this. And suddenly my heart is going to follow. And so practically it becomes this incredible tool in the kingdom of God for following Jesus. You can literally direct where your heart will care about by putting money in particular things. So think about if you look at your bank statements and you realize over the last month, I spent a lot of money on entertainment. Half that dollar amount, whatever. I'm just throwing out crazy ideas. You got to decide what you want to do with the Holy Spirit. But let's just get a crazy idea. I look at the last month of my, and I go, hey, I spent a lot of money on entertainment. What if I cut that in half? I say I really do care about the next generation of Christians. I'll just take all that money and I will put it towards a camp fund for whatever next summer camp or winter camp that we're doing for high school ministry. Guess what? The very next day that you drop that money, you will care more about how that camp went. You'll pray for it. You'll think about it. You'll wonder what kids went to it and where that money actually went. Suddenly my heart now is following where I put my money, which for how deceptive our hearts can be, that's actually really great. Thanks, Jesus. 
I could just put my money somewhere and my heart now is going to start following around where that money goes. So Amazon comes up so much in my statements because really deep down after I ask the Holy Spirit, I realize that I want that little feeling of joy and delight and I'm afraid my father might not give me deep lasting joy. Well, now I'm going to take that money and I'm going to redirect it to something in the kingdom and watch what my heart does. Individually, we cannot give to every single thing that the kingdom is doing on earth, which is why it's so important that we do this together as a family. And it brings to the importance of just listening to the Holy Spirit and then just making like a 1% better move right now and seeing what God would continue to do with that. And so I'm going to invite the band up here in a second as we move and shift into a time of responding to God. And I'm just going to give you guys a very practical thing to do as you respond. Generosity of God our Father and realizing that is often really blocked up by living in a culture of never enough. And so when I say that God has given you everything in the kingdom, you might get to the point where you're like, well, I don't, that doesn't feel like I have a lot in the kingdom. That is because our world is always on to the next thing that it wants and never, ever slowing down enough for gratitude. So try this. As we respond today, and we take the bread, and we take the wine, and as you eat, I invite you just to pray for a second and say, Holy Spirit, can you bring to mind to me what all I have in your kingdom? And then just start thinking about your life. Do you have community that you never had because of the kingdom? Have you experienced forgiveness that you never deserved because of the kingdom? In the end, our gratitude will be a first step leading us to what we have by God our Father who has given us everything in the kingdom, namely, He had to give his son to make good on this promise. And so I would invite, as you're taking the bread and you're taking the wine, as you eat and as you reflect, sing to God in gratitude for what you have in the kingdom and then do this. Ask the Holy Spirit to tell you where you can rewire some money so your heart could follow. And he'll tell you what to do with it from there. And if you can't think creatively, that's why we have things like as a community, like Tempe 10, where you can throw money to it and all of it is going to go towards caring for one another and even other organizations that are doing really cool things within our city that match the heart of the kingdom. And so there you have something in his way to respond to the generous father who gives us everything to the point that he gave us his son. Now I just invite you guys at this point, close your Bibles. And let's pray as we begin to respond to God's generosity. Father, I ask above all that you would make us a people who deeply, deeply know the love that you've given us in your son, Jesus, and that that would lead us towards generosity, not as a sense of earning something or showing to the world, but out of a gleeful, childlike delight. Jesus, we love you and ask now that your spirit would speak to us. Amen.